free, live free, Galatians unpacking the gospel. So today we're, I'm supposed to be in chapter three, but because we can't really go verse by verse through the whole, through the whole book, I'm definitely going to hit on some of chapter two and just kind of build a little context um, for, the, for the message today. So Paul, Apostle Paul started off this book defending the message that he preached everywhere he went. Okay, so he really starts off this book defending the message that he was preaching wherever he went. And part of him defending the message he was preaching um, was also defending himself and his credibility. I mean, isn't that a, think about it, isn't that a common thing? If you want to discredit someone's message, what do you do? You just challenge their credibility, right? You just, it doesn't matter, even if they're saying the right thing, if you challenge their credibility, everyone says, ah, you can't trust that guy, so you kind of discredit their message. And these false teachers who were leading people astray in the, uh, the province of Galatia, okay, that's why the book's called Galatians, the, the, the church in Galatia. Um, so these false teachers, they were, they were coming in and they were leading uh, the church in Galatia astray, saying that you can't be saved by faith in Jesus alone. You can't be saved just by putting your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for your sins. You also have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses, which is kind of really one and the same thing is what they were talking about. Okay? So, and, and also they were saying, listen, and who does this guy think, who does this guy Paul think he is anyway? He's not even a real apostle. This guy Paul, he's a secondhand apostle. He's not even real. Where did he come from? He's not teaching the same thing as the real apostles in, in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John, right, the, the pillars of the, of, the, of the church, he's not teaching the same thing as those guys are. Those guys are the real apostles. So Paul is angry. You'll never see another book of the Bible that he wrote that he has so much anger <laughs> and frustration. And you have to understand that as you're reading it. He starts off the book saying, this is what he starts off the book saying, and Dennis preached on this, but I just need to reiterate it for you guys. He starts off the book saying, if anyone teaches... A different gospel other than what I preach, he'll go to hell. That's what Paul says. Anyone preaches a different gospel other than what I preach, let them be eternally condemned, he says. I mean, that's, that's drawing a line in the sand, isn't it? That's not a popular thing to say. I mean, think about how bold that is. You say I'm not teaching the same thing as the other apostles? Well, let me tell you this. Anyone who teaches something different than me will be eternally condemned. And by the way, he goes, I received my message directly from Jesus himself. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, at the end of verse 16 in chapter 1, it says this. He said, I didn't consult with any man. I didn't consult with any man. I got my message directly from Jesus himself. He goes, but then three years later, three years after I received that message... I went to Jerusalem. Do I need to do something, Jason, with the sound? What do I need to do? Change this? Use the handheld mic? You know, they changed the mic. They couldn't get me the Garth Brooks headphone anymore. And <laughs> I'm going to have to start wearing uh, collar shirts again. So he says, he says look, he goes, when I, when I first received the message, I didn't consult with any man. He goes, I got it straight from, I got it straight from God himself, straight from Jesus, came to me, gave me the message. He says, in three years after I received that message. I went, to, I went to Jerusalem. Three years later, I went to Jerusalem. And I saw James, the brother of Jesus. Like Jesus' brother. The one he grew up with in the same home. Okay? And guess what? He didn't disagree with my message. He, had no, he didn't add anything to my message. He was good with it. Same message. 
And then he says, 14 years after that, 14 years. So for 17 years, Paul's preaching the same message that he received directly from Jesus. So 14 years later, after he met with James, he said, I went back to Jerusalem and I met with Peter, James, and John, all three of them. He goes, and I took Titus with me, who was a Gentile, which means he wasn't circumcised. Okay, and that was one of the main things that these teachers were saying. Oh, you got to be circumcised. You got to follow the law in order. You can't just believe in Jesus. And he goes, well, how about when I took Titus with me to meet with the pillars of the church? And guess what? Verse 6. Chapter 2, I believe. He goes, these men, they, they added nothing to my message. Nothing. I met with them. They said, great, that's the same thing we're preaching. And if they disagreed with me, don't you think they would have made Titus follow the law and be circumcised? Don't you think they would have done that? But they didn't. So he goes, we're in total agreement with each other. And then after that, he said, I saw that Peter, he goes, matter of fact, after that, I saw that Peter was being a hypocrite. And I called him out on it. And listen to what Paul said to Peter. This is what he said to Peter in front of everybody. This is, this is his quotation in uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. It's a little, bit, it's a little long, but just you got to hear it, okay? Because when you, when you understand that he's calling Peter out for being a hypocrite, eating with Gentiles when Jews weren't supposed to do with that, or weren't supposed to do that, um, this is what he said. He said, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And how much more clear and powerful does it get? No one will be justified by observing the law. Verse 17. If while we seek to be justified by, in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Listen to this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to this last verse. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law by by being a good person, by being moral, if you can be right before God by just being good, then Paul says, then Christ died for nothing. If you think being good is going to make you right, that's what you're actually saying, that Jesus' death means nothing. And people will say, well, no, no, I'm not. I just think that Jesus died and we have to be good. I just don't believe that God will forgive evil people, really bad people. If you think any good deeds are necessary to be a righteous person, then what you are saying is that Jesus died for nothing. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what he's saying. Now, so we get to chapter three, which is our passage for today. 
Okay? And Paul says, look at verse 1. Right after what he just said there, look at what he says in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. So he says, you foolish Galatians. He's angry. He's really upset. you got to understand how upset he is when he says this. Not like, you fools. No, he's like, you foolish Galatians. He's like, are you crazy? Like, are you out of your mind? You know that Jesus was crucified. You know how much he suffered. You know how much he went through. You know he was innocent. Are you actually willing to say that he died for nothing? Like, are you, are you really willing to say that? Because that's what you're saying. That is what you're saying. Well, no, we're just saying that uh, we also have to obey the law too. No, you're not just saying that. You're saying that he died for nothing. Dennis had this, uh, he had something similar to this up on a PowerPoint a few weeks ago. Jesus plus good works means Jesus died for nothing. Something to that effect. A little bit different, but the same thing. Jesus plus good works means Jesus died for nothing. So he defends himself. Okay, he takes that, the first two chapters there, and he's defending himself and his credibility and his message by giving him his own testimony and the testimony of the apostles that he met with. And now he turns and starts asking them about their testimony a little bit. Okay, so look at verses two through five. He's still, he's still just building the argument. Look at verses two through five. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So he starts asking them questions about their own experience. He goes, forget me for a second, right? I could defend myself all day, but, but what about you? Did you receive the spirit of God by faith in Jesus or by observing the law? How did you receive it, he asked. And it's a rhetorical question because he knows how they received the Holy Spirit. He was there when they received the Holy Spirit. He knows that they know that they received the Holy Spirit the moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ. He was there. He gave them the gospel. They put their faith in Christ. They received the Holy Spirit apart from any works that they did. So forget me for a second, he says, I shouldn't have to argue with you. Your own testimony and experience should tell you that these people are false teachers. And this is why Paul is so beside himself. This is why he asks them, he says, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has put a spell on you? Listen, basically Paul's saying, "I I, I can't even fathom how it would be possible that you could believe this unless someone put a legit spell on you. Like someone used some black magic and just deceived you. Like that's, that's, that's really what he's saying. In other words, who is, how did this happen? The only thing that makes sense is that someone did this to you and that, that they tricked you or something. And then he says in verse 3, are you so foolish that you actually think the spirit was a gift from God, but now it's up to you to finish it, to be saved? And again, the answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. Look back at chapter 2, verse 20, read that again. Listen to what Paul says. He goes, no, look. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I died. I died along with Christ, and I no longer live. He goes, I don't even live anymore. 
It's not even my life anymore. Christ is living in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who's living in me. He says, look, you change and you grow the same way you started. By faith, through the Spirit, Christ in you. The Spirit of God saved you and gave you new life, and the Spirit, through faith, will continue to change you, fully relying upon Christ in you to do anything that is accomplished in the Christian life, to change at all. You know, living in the Spirit is recognizing that, listen, I couldn't do anything to save myself, and I can't do anything to grow or change or accomplish anything for God without complete reliance upon God's Spirit, which is Jesus in you. That's what it says, which is Christ in you. And he keeps asking them questions. He keeps going, look at verse 4. He goes, what about all that you suffered for your faith in Jesus? What about all your suffering that you endured when you first accepted Christ? These people went through great persecution. He goes, what about all that suffering for your simple belief that you were saved by faith in Jesus? What about that? Was that for nothing too? Did you really endure all that suffering for nothing? Or did you endure that because you know that Jesus gave his life for you and saved you by his grace, and now your life is no longer your own? Isn't that really why you endured the suffering? And then he goes, and how does the Spirit work miracles among you? Is there some system that I'm not aware of? Paul's like, listen, how does the Spirit work miracles among you? Like if you give a certain amount of money, does that get a healed back? You know, like if you get 10%, healed back, right? Follow the law, boom. Miracle. Does not killing someone get you a, be, uh, a, being, a get out of being sick free card? Okay, I haven't got, I haven't murdered anyone. So uh, how about a little miracle and heal the cough? He says, no, you didn't earn anything. You can't earn anything. And your human effort gets you nothing with God. And if you think it does, Paul, what does he say? You're a fool. So Paul said, I mean, this, this is Paul saying it. This is what he's saying. And he goes, you still don't believe me? Okay. He goes, let's go back to the beginning. You still don't believe me? It's not good enough. My testimony, the apostle's testimony, your testimony, your own experience, none of that's good enough? No problem. No problem. Let's talk about Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham. Even people that don't know about Father Abraham know Father Abraham, right? The name Father, it's just like everybody knows that. He goes, remember the people who are leading the Galatians astray were Jewish, okay? So remember that. They were Jewish. So they were all about Father Abraham. So Paul says, let's go to the father of the Jewish people. Let's go to the patriarch. How was he justified before God? You heard my testimony. You have your own, but that's not good enough. Let's go back to the beginning of the Jewish people. Let's look at Abraham's testimony. He goes, for, and, and look, listen, for anyone here that's not familiar with the story of Abraham. Let me just explain something. It wasn't just that God made him a promise. Okay, it wasn't just that God made him a promise that he would turn his offspring into a great nation and that he would send Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, through that nation. You have to understand that Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. Like, no amount of human effort could cause them to have children. They, it was humanly impossible for them to have kids. And they were extremely old. Not only was it said Sarah was barren, but they were also, also really old. They were so old 
that this is what the Bible says. It says, this is how the Bible, Bible puts it this way. It says, and Abraham was as good as dead. Like when someone says you're as good as dead, that's a bad place to be. That's a bad, right? Well, as soon as someone says I'm as good as dead, I'm gonna be like, God, please just let me die. Just keep that in mind as we keep going here. So verses six through nine. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he do? He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wow, what an amazing passage of scripture. What an amazing passage of scripture for total assurance in the clear, simple gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead. You, could do, you can't do anything except believe in him and put your faith in him for salvation. What an, how much clearer can it? And he announced it beforehand, thousands of years ago, to Abraham. And what did Abraham do? Well, it says God showed up made a promise to Abraham that he was going to make him and his offspring into his own people and that he would give them a land and that he would make them a great nation and that he would send the Messiah through his offspring to, to save people from all nations through the Messiah. And how would he save all nations? The same way he saved Abraham, by faith, the believer, right? So you need to understand that the true children of Abraham are not those who are saved, I'm sorry, are those who are saved by faith. The true, and listen, you got you to understand, when Paul says that, you know how offensive that is to these false Jewish teachers? For, for, for Paul to say, listen, true children of Abraham are those who believe, just like Abraham, the believer. That's what it means to be a child of Abraham, not born from his offspring. That would be so offensive. And it wasn't just that Abraham believed God. Listen to this. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. It wasn't just that Abraham believed God. It was that Abraham believed God to do what was humanly impossible to save himself. You got to understand the correlation here. It's really amazing, actually. And it's not just that we believe Jesus died for our sins. It's that we believe that apart from Jesus dying for our sins, it is humanly impossible for us to be saved. Do you get that? It's subtle a little bit. But it's a big deal. In other words, we are as good as dead, just like Abraham. We were as good as dead, just like Abraham. It would have been completely impossible for us to save ourselves with anything we've done. And then Jesus died for us. And that's all we have. That's our only hope. And by doing this, it says that God announced the gospel beforehand. Before anyone ever received the law, the good news of God's salvation for all people was made as clear as can be. It says Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And you put your faith, listen, you put your faith in Jesus Christ for what he's done for you. And God credits 
you with righteousness. (laughs) He gives you credit (laughs) for something you didn't do, for something you don't deserve. Isn't that amazing? It says, all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. Through faith, we are blessed the same way Abraham was blessed, by being justified by God through faith, by simply believing God that he provided salvation for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So faith produces life. Listen to this. Faith produces life. Faith produces the Holy Spirit, right? We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Miracles. We become children of God by faith. Salvation. And it goes on and on by faith. But if you want to follow the law, if you want to follow the law, then listen to this. If you want to say, no, 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 I just think I, I can be a good person. So I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments. I'm going to do good. I'm just going to be a good guy. If you want to go that route, this is what he says. Verse uh, 10 through 14. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone. Listen to this. Please listen to this. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So he says, listen, you want to follow the law? Then you're cursed. You're living under a curse. Why? Because if you want to be justified by following the law, you must continually do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, listen, the law requires you to be perfect. If you want to be good to be righteous, you can do that. The only problem is you have to be perfect. And we know that none of us are perfect, right? We do know that. I've only talked to like one or two people out there that thought they were. Like out on the streets, you know, you never know who you're dealing with on the streets. But there was one or two that stumped me. Because I'm like, I mean, we're all sinners, right? And they're like, not me. And I'm like, all right, I guess we're done talking, you know. Like, what are you going to say? It's like a conversation stopper. If you want to follow the law, you have to be perfect. Listen, this isn't like Dennis who went to seminary and said, D's get degrees, okay? This didn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, work like, it doesn't work like that when it comes to our salvation. Listen, even a 99% is not good enough. If you're going to use that illustration, you'd have to say, listen, it wasn't, well, how'd you get 100 in the class? Well, Jesus, Jesus took the class for me. That's what you'd have to say. Jesus took the class. How do you get 100% in that class? Jesus took it for me. Not, oh, well, he was my study partner, and he helped me a little bit. If you're saying Jesus plus good works, that's what you're saying. Well, you know, Jesus gave me a few pointers, but I made it happen on the final exam. You know, it's like, no. Either he took the exam, or you took the exam. That's a bad illustration, because some of you got hundreds on exams, all right? Like, it's a good one for me and Dennis. We didn't get... We didn't get hundreds on exams. Makes perfect sense. The law demands perfection. The law demands perfection. And since it demands perfection, clearly then no one is justified by being 
a good, per, a good person. It says, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Because listen, we were all under the law, right? We're all under the law, so to speak. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You know, think about that. Like, you know, it says that anyone who, he says here, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Just think about that, how the cross for all those years was a sign of a curse, a sign of death for all those years. And what is it now, right? You look at the cross What is it now? It's a sign of life because of what Christ did for us because he took our place on that cross. The only reason we're saved is because Jesus died in our place for our sins. He became a curse for us. And if you think you need to do something or or can do something to be saved, then what you're saying is that Christ died for nothing. And you have to know that's what you're saying because, because Hardly anyone ever admits that. And I've had a lot of conversations with people where they said, no, 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 I just think that, you know, you, it can't be that simple. You can't just put your faith in Jesus and then, you know, and expect, you to, and expect God to forgive you. And you can't just, and I'm, listen, you add anything to Jesus, you add any good works, you add any human effort of your own, and it says that what you're saying is that Christ died for nothing. That's what you're actually saying. doesn't matter what you think you're saying. That's what you're actually saying. Because he didn't die for nothing, right? He didn't die for nothing at all. He died for you and for me. He gave us, he suffered, he died for us. And you're saved by your faith in what Jesus has done for you. Now listen, let me just ask you, you know, there's, there's, uh, it is, it is Groundhog Day. And, (laughs) um, Where are you at this morning? You know, I think that there's a lot of people. I've talked to, I talk to a lot of people, and, and, I, and most of the time what I find is they just never really heard that message. They never really understood it. It's never been made clear to them. If you're here this morning and you thought, oh, I thought I had to earn God's favor somehow. I thought I had to, I thought I had to, 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 to meet a certain standard. I thought I needed to just do enough good things and then, then he would accept me. Like, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. This is what people say all the time. Yeah, I know he died for me, but I, I, I got to follow, you know, I got to do good. I got to be good. Yeah, I know he did that, but no. Then you're saying Christ died for nothing. If for the first time today you realize Jesus did it for me. He did it all for me, apart from anything I did do or could do or was able to do, I was as good as dead. I couldn't save myself. God sent himself in the form of a human to pay for our sins. And then he credits you with righteousness for free. Says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So why don't we take a minute and pray? And if, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, why don't you do that this morning? Right where you sit, just pray. God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your word. God, as we look at, as we look at this passage this morning, what a blessing, God, that we were as good as dead, but you sent your son Jesus to die for us and pay for our sins. And that you give us eternal life, Lord. You give us righteousness. You make us your child. 
by your grace. God, I believe that this morning. God, I believe you did that for me. I want to put my faith in Jesus right now. I don't want to trust in myself. I don't want to trust in, in, my, in my own effort. God, I don't want to try to earn your favor. I don't want to earn your acceptance. God, I can't do it. I'm uncertain. I live a life of fear, wondering where I stand with you. And now I understand, God, that I'm loved by you. You sacrificed yourself for me. And you want to make me a child of yours through my faith in Jesus Christ. God, I want that. I believe that right now. Amen. I hope, uh, I hope there's someone here that maybe prayed that to God this morning. Maybe accepted Jesus as your Savior. And we're going into a time of communion. We have stations in the front and the back in each corner. And uh, so after, after we uh, read this passage and uh, say another prayer...